You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series, and my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject that I've got coming up for you is in a band from Melbourne called Frankenbock. He goes by the name Azabok, and the reason for the conversation is to talk about their 2017 release, Vicious Lawless. So let's have a listen to what Azza has to say. Here we go. I want to start off by... Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I want to start off by welcoming you to the Scars and Guitars podcast, as you are one of the very few Australian bands that I do get to talk to. And I want to issue you a heartfelt congratulations on first surviving 20 years in the notoriously difficult industry here in Australia. That is the heavy metal music industry. I'm going to call it that because I think that's what it is. But, mate, what do you attribute your longevity and your success to? Um, I don't know about the success part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been, depends what you uh, call success, but I guess, um, what the longevity is, I, I was just thinking about it before. It's actually one of the hardest, most illogical things to continue doing, but it's also one of the easiest things to continue doing because it's just not something that you really choose to do. It's something that you do do and it's something that you just love doing. So it's even as, as bad as some of the situations you, you are where, like, you know, you stand to, you know, really not get a whole lot of uh, comeback for all your efforts. The, the thought of actually just sort of giving up sort of seems out of the question because it's just what you do and it's just what you love. And as much effort that goes into it and that small window of, of enjoyment somehow, ridiculously, it makes it all worth it. So I think it's just being built that way and obsessed with constantly needing to work towards something, needing to want to play and just uh my old man was an entertainer as well cool and he said you know if if you're not enjoy not enjoying it you know you, you're not having any success you know and i think i'm still at a point where i'm really enjoying it yes you've said it very eloquently there and i'll just further add to that that success in australia often means just being able to play in front of an appreciative audience and uh, not necessarily to make money even from the shows. It's a constant challenge for bands over here. And I always look for examples of Australian metal circa 2007 to offer uh, international guests on the podcast and indeed any listeners because the vast majority of my listeners do come from overseas, specifically the great US of A. Um, And I'd wouldn't hesitate to offer your music as a case in point. Now, if I was going to give international listeners a reference point for what Frankenbox sound like prior to them actually hearing it, I would say Wolverine Blues era entombed. Does that sound about right? That's a wonderful comment. Um, <laughs> so much good entombed. <laughs> and you know when you like love a band, but you like only know that one album because you love it, and everyone's like, you got to hear this one. Like, there was one for me. And that that was the album for me, Wolverine Blues. So that's a that's a wonderful comment. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah, straight straight down the line. Um, Excellent. With, with <laughs> that that there's that definitely that influence um, and that um, the way those guys recorded that stuff and the way it sounds, um, you got that feeling of I'm I can hear five blokes in a room trying to get over the finish line and make this happen as the best they can and brutal as they can or whatever, as opposed to. Um, having a computer making sure that it is going to be perfect. I wanted to leave in imperfections and, you know, uh, hear, the, hear the desperation of trying to make it to the end of the riff. So you kind of riding that roller coaster along with the guitarist rather than getting a little bit kind of complacent and bored because you just know it's going to be 100% mechanically perfect, you know. It's yes. just got 
what's on all mistakes, you know, human shit going oh, on. Oh, good on you, yeah. So it's just yourself and Tim Medecki on bass, I hope I've pronounced your surname uh, correctly there, sorry Tim if I haven't, um, that have survived since the band's early days. And for the benefit of the listener again, you've got Daniel White from Scar the Surface on vocals, Tim Tom Russell, I should say, from House of Thumbs on drums, Ricky Barber from Isola on guitars. They're the recent members of the band, the band members that have just joined. Now, I can't say I'm too familiar yep. with any of those bands to understand what that they may have bought uh, from the bands from which they have come, but it sounds like they really understand what yourself and Tim were trying to achieve. Does that sound about right? This is where I've been incredibly, incredibly... Uh, just I've had so much luck as far as you know you, you spend so much time in the band thinking like luck's against me but the guys that joined the band are all guys that one of their favorite bands was Frankenbach um some of like Isola um Tommy and Ricky were in together and Tommy was telling me we pretty much decided we were going to be a band because we used to come and watch Frankenbach and I'm sitting here like talking about flights and plans and all that because I'm in Frankenbach. He said, it's just crazy. We're, that's where I've been so lucky is, uh, you know, if we're um, talking about old songs and that, if you had some dude who just joined your band because you guys were established or whatever and, like, this might be worth my while, it's one thing. But I can say, what about um, Pycost, song off the first album? Okay. Yeah, 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 I know it. I don't know how to play it yet. But, like, these are all songs that these guys grew up with. So... As far as what Frankenbach is supposed to do and wants to do and all that, they're, uh, I've always been a fan and always watched, so they, they kind of already know, which has been why I've managed to change pretty much more than half of the band, but it totally still sounds like Frankenbach because you've still got me and Tim who are the, always the songwriters, so it's got that same flavour after all these albums. But you've got these new guys that already completely understood the animal, jumping straight onto it, you know? But also bringing their own, also bringing their own flavour, which is great. You know, I'm loving. I, I'm. I'm. It's, it's weird to talk about talking about this album. This album has been like I don't know, almost five years in the making, getting it, getting it done. You know, getting over like you know, massive uh, world events with changing members and just you know, lifestyle shit going on. But um, I'm so happy that it's out. But I'm already like ahead, thinking I'm so excited about writing the next album. It'll happen, I'm sure, a lot quicker and a lot easier with what these new guys have got to bring to the table as far as still in the Frank and Mock flavour. But, you know, these guys are the, uh, not just hired guns who can play your shit. They've got the, a lot of talent and a lot of uh, creativity about them. So I'm, I'm really excited about doing the next one already. No, that's that's good stuff, mate. And, um, look, I've, I've had a good look and listened to the video that accompanies Stalker Stalker and to be frank it's rather confronting and the He-Man monologue at the end is very appropriate for 2017 because listen if you don't mind me mentioning we have lost a lot of icons of late two of which would be Chris Cornell and Scott Weiland both to different drugs but almost for the same reason is the video a summary of an event with a rather obsessed and troubled fan or is it a message that the band is trying to send to viewers and listeners um, it's absolutely both of those things, and the experience was me. I actually had that um, stalker fan. Uh, that was the total. It's 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 amazing. I told the video guy what I want, what my idea was, and um, it's pretty much all captured in there perfectly as far as the important points of what did happen to me. But yeah, that was a 
personal experience where I, I woke up one morning and uh, I had about five million private messages of um, screenshots because this particular person had been up all night basically stalking and carrying on with uh, my whole life. And I, um, the message was, you can go ahead and delete your family and your friends or anyone you care about because um, I'm coming for you and you're going to know what pain is. And I'm like, what? And I go to her Facebook and there's nothing but, nothing but pictures of me and, her, uh, and um, all of my family, my mother and my father and my brother and my sisters and kids' schools and stuff, all made public on her. On her uh, yeah, so it was like, yeah, a full experience. It, it didn't end up... There was some... Uh, what would you say? Um, sure. Yep. Artistic license there with some of it. Sure. But um, yep. pretty close on point that went down. It was a very, very scary thing. And um, the other part, the the drugs thing, was what actually pulled it all together. Um, I sat down trying to write the whole plot to the video, trying to leave. You just naturally want to leave the real nasty out of it. So the whole drug thing. And this person that was uh, stalking me become quite clear when the real nasty shit would happen it would be whilst she was high and then come yep. down for, and you know so and the whole ice epidemic um being a muso and being around dudes that like to party hardy we've all seen a whole lot of like troubles with ice and um everyone's had a friend or knows a person and seen the shit that goes on in the streets and the kind of way that the government goes you shouldn't take this filthy drug called ice. And a lot of people that take drugs look at that shit and get whatever the government's telling me what to do again. So I thought it was really important to actually put out the, for a bunch of dudes that also like to party, that there is drugs and people smoke and people do this and that. They party and they have a good time. But collectively, we reckon this shit is pretty fucked. And we want our message to sort of go out going, don't be doing this shit because... um it never ends well and I think somebody of our background should be saying something like that about that sort of thing anyway we just thought it was necessary to to say something about that because it's changing our world um, you know here in Melbourne everything that's going on like you see every oh God, yeah. really yeah. really horrible yeah. terrible crime is a lot of time tied to something to do with you know and the person was ice affected and it's like it's not how you take drugs. You take drugs and have an amazing experience and <laughs> love each other or some shit. You think I'm mowing down people because you're hearing fucking voices. <laughs> yes. But. Well, I think I think I'm 39, and I would venture to suggest you're probably about the same vintage of myself. Um, yeah. I would venture to suggest even further, mate, that we grew up in what I'd probably term as gentler times. Uh, when I say kids these yeah. days, people in their 20s these days, they're just exposed to a whole bunch of shit that we didn't have to deal with when we were growing up in the 90s and early 2000s. I mean, um, I don't ever remember ice being an issue up until around... Now, I could have been living under a rock potentially, but look, up here in Brisbane, I don't remember ice ever being an issue until around about 2005 or 2006 when it started to take a hold. But um, these days, mate, whether it's just a case of I'm, you know, it, it makes good media fodder or, mate, you know what, I'm saying that and I'm not feeling that. I think that you're, you're actually hitting on a really important point there and I think that you've done something that resembles a community service through the video because I didn't expect it, to be honest. I just thought it would be, a, to be frank, another band video with the band rocking out and having a bit of a party, but you've actually got a very meaningful message there. Uh, you're to be commended for and it. And that was a massive uh, 
that was that was definitely intentional as well. I, I've been watching a lot of rock videos with you know dudes looking pretty tough and pretty slick and pretty cool with like some fire and this and that happening. And well, I've seen a lot of that stuff, you know. I've seen a lot of that. I come from you know playing metal, but also a punk rock background, and it's just all big and exp- in, impressive and expensive and all that. But punk rock and, and metal and all that, it's supposed to be dangerous. And it's supposed to be something that you see and go, Whoa, I don't know about that. And you just see all this. Uh, I, that's totally what I wanted to do. And when the, uh, the guy that made the video first made the idea of um, stopping the song and having the uh, dialogue and the, and the talking and telling the story and actually stopping the music, I, my gut reaction was straight away, yeah, I don't know about that. Because you don't do that. But I thought about it and I was like, you know what? We really want to make something different and not just like something you watch and go, oh, that was cool. That was slick. You want them to watch something and go, what the fuck did I just witness? That's, I don't know if you can do that. I'm going to watch it again because that's, and even you might watch it and go, that was shit. Let's watch it again and make sure how shit it is. You know, I just wanted to make something. I didn't care if people, not saying I don't care if people didn't like it, but um, yeah, if it got a reaction, that's better than just a shrug of the shoulders and cool. All, all these days we're talking about it being what kids are exposed to. What they are exposed to is just so, so much. So the attention span is so small these days that you you put on a video and there, there are dragons coming out of the PA, some of the most amazing shit you've you know, ever seen happen and there's like millions of dollars spent on it and you don't even make it halfway through the video. Sort of. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. so common, I've isn't it? it? I've yes. seen all that. Yes. Unfortunately, I've seen all that, and you know, these bands might have gone and got a helicopter, put on the top of the mountain, spent like you know fifty grand doing that, and whatever. You know, uh, on purpose wanted to do something that you go, I don't know if you can do that, or something that really jolts the senses. And that's where we went, where I started thinking about the idea of actually bringing the, the drug part of it into it. And I went, no, we should do this. And this is an important message. And you know what? Seeing a lighter up at a glass pipe crackling away, that's, 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 that's a fucking pretty nasty image, you know? And uh, we're not doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it for the right reasons. It's not like, hey, do this and you'll be awesome and rock and roll like us. It's like, look at this pretty chick who starts out. Yeah doing that and look at how she look at what she becomes well you only have to google you know that that faces of meth website that's been around for quite some time now but those images are extraordinarily confronting um and a lot of those people didn't look that crash hot to begin with but what they start to look like over a period of two or three years is very similar to what the last in your video clip looks like at the end and that's real. Yeah, very perceptive. We we went exactly through that. We went, right, we had like a few meetings of about props and things we need to get and what burns the best and actually looks like ice and where to acquire this and that. And one of the things that got sent was that Faces of Meth. And, you know, the makeup artist and the chick and all that, they all started researching and basically imitating that. So mm. you're, you're right on point. Okay. All right. Well... <laughs> Well, mate, as I say... I think we might have nailed that one. I think, Mate, I think you have, and I think you're sending a very strong message to, to people that watch and do listen to the band. Yeah, you are about having a good time, there's no doubt about that, but you're not about bloody ruining your life either. You know, and I think people... No, or, or more importantly, I mean, not more importantly, but other people's. You know, if you want to ruin your life, well, off you go to the forest and run amok. But, like, 
that shit, it's it's everyone else around you as well. That's the that's the part where I go, mate. If you want to be a dickhead, you be a dickhead, but you're destroying other people because yes. of your actions, and that's that's where I think that's something needed to be said about that stuff. Yep, yep. Good point, mate. And look, I'm going to change track a little bit, and I'm going to offer a, a small apologies he, apology here, if you don't mind, because the first and only time I've actually seen you guys was way back in 2000 when you supported Skin Lab of all bands. Um, oh, okay. And I sure. believe that was the only uh, that was around the same time that you released the cover of the song "Don't Call Me Baby" by Madison Avenue. So I'll ask you this question: How did that cover of that song help the band? A massive amount. Um, it got us on to, we kind of had the idea of like, hey, just just what if we did a cover of this song, which was also being recorded next door to where we were, so we heard it every day. <laughs> what if we did a cover of this and put like, you know, double kickers and death vocals on that someone like Triple J just might grab it as a novelty and play that. Um, Good point. Play that play that um, mid-day or something like that with all the other sort of grunge and stuff that they were playing, we might just sneak in through the back door and get a bit of death going on. Mm-hmm. And we had time, we did it, and it was just fun. And um, exactly what happened, uh, we were with Roadrun at the time, and they pushed it because they could sort of see the whole novelty thing and, you know, it's really very easy to sell that thing. And uh, Triple J went for it and... I still get people coming up to me like last weekend, just going, you know what? Um, you're, you're that don't call me baby van. And <laughs> I didn't even really like that music, but I thought that was like really awesome. And then I saw what album it was on. So I went and bought the whole album and I liked all your music. And ever since then, I like, I've got, I've got all your stuff and I, now I'm actually into metal. So, um, people go, are you like embarrassed or not happy about that? Doing that song was like, I love it. I reckon, God, no. And I still it's think it's funny. Idea. And, and what people will not seem to hear, especially when you get some like totally, totally uh, brutal metal fans that they go, "Yeah, you say you just did that song because you hate it and it's shit, right?" And I go, I, "I like the song," and they go, "Yeah, because it's shit and you don't like it." And I go, "Nah, man, I, I think it's good. And I enjoy it." And they go, "Yeah, they, they won't hear it that I like because I can only like brutal stuff, apparently." Yes, yeah, that's that's a but, bit of yeah. Yeah, that's an attitude we've had in Australia for far too long. I, I, I haven't come across anybody recently that's had it, but I certainly know as a young fella coming through, being in bands and the like, it was almost if you didn't listen, if you listened to other things outside of metal, you you, you weren't part of the creed, or part of the tribe, or something yep. like that. Yep. But I think you guys broke it wide open there, and it, in in a way, it did for you guys what Easy did for Faith No More. To the mainstream, yeah, or to the to the especially in Australia, to the, like the the greater amount of people, for sure, for sure, because you know you're talking about uh, we're talking about King Parrot before. Sorry, I was talking to Chris about King Parrot and um, just sort of saying how that um, they they the mainstream sort of pick up on them because they're they're token heavy band, you know, the masses that wouldn't necessarily hear or know about that sort of stuff. That was the same same sort of stuff with us. Um, there's still a whole bunch of metal fans out there, but um, we would have been just the same as all the other metal bands playing good metal, but we got noticed because we had something uh, that drew attention to ourselves by, you know, a, a bit of comedy, a bit of a, a bit of a novelty sort of going on. Yeah, it sounded great. there was still though, that attitude, yeah. and that's... Yeah, that's it. It had the, the attitude. Rock side yeah. of things. 
I remember back then they were going, um, yeah, it was still very, you have to be metal, you have to be like fully dark and all that. And I went, again, I'm bored of metal being, you have to be this, it's like a uniform, there's like a, uh, a bunch of rules you've got to fit into. It's like, I want to do the opposite of what you have to do. And I think that's what we. I think we played "Don't Call Me Baby" to uh, on the Slayer support to a Slayer crowd. That's like <laughs> you know, being being a bunch of like uh, stuntmen. Oh, were you on that um, Slayer fans? Were you on that Machine Head Slayer bill back in the day? Were you? We were. We did the whole lot. I thought okay, I've seen you one. twice. I thought that's where the second time I'd seen you. There you go. Yes. Yeah, how did you find touring mm. with with a band like Slayer? Did you actually get to meet the guys, or is it one of those cases where you? where you just sort of go on beforehand and just sort of go and get a beer afterwards and watch the band from the crowd? Um, no, the opposite. They were um, absolutely amazing. <coughs> Excuse me. As far as to hang out with, um, there was those nights where it's sort of like, uh, this is kind of like a big deal and you can't be in this room when the band's coming through and all that sort of thing. But then there was other nights where they were like uh, loose as and hanging out and, we're about to play, and um, I go up to the other guitarist and go, Scotty, come on, time to get on stage. And he goes, hold on, man. I'm just, like, chatting with Tom here. Tom Array <laughs> is there, standing there, talking to Scotty, saying, hey, would you mind if I um, was up in that balcony there and I filmed your set for the night? <laughs> so we just like, how, how nice. You're talking to, like, the godfather of, you know, metal there. Yeah, for sure. And asking permission to film your band in a you know, very polite manner and all that sort of thing. You know? So they were amazing. They were really cool. It was, it's strange. And, and <clears throat> not to have a whinge, but why not? Um, you, you play with bands nowhere near the caliber of that, and you get exactly the other part that you talked about before. Like, you know, you might have <clears throat> had one song or this or a sort of bit of a success or whatever. You're not Slayer, but you're... Sure. They're getting yep. around like, uh, you know, you can't be in here and, uh, you know, this is the big deal. And you, you know what I mean? I it's do. That exact yeah. treatment as far as, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's so, a very, it's, it's a very it's, unfortunate. It's to be massive and being massive is the two different things. Yeah, it's almost like they do that visualisation thing, but they take it further and they try to enact it by acting like a big band when they're not that. They're in a, you know, they're playing... I'm just picking a venue here to step in in Brisbane or somewhere like that, and there's a four or five band bill or something like that, and because they're headlining that, they think that they're important. And I'm not singling anybody out there specifically, but I've certainly felt that in some of the bands that I've played with, with some of the artists and, and musicians that we've supported, and I, I never understood it, and it always felt like the bigger the band that you supported or or played with. So say, for example, I um did some recording back in the day with uh, Richie from Super Heist, and he couldn't have been a nicer bloke to me in particular, and was very complimentary about yep. my playing and everything. Yep. But... I'd done some work with some other people that were nowhere near of, you know, I'm sure Richie won't mind me saying this, the profile that he enjoys. Um, and I, I, yep. it was very hard. It was hard work, mate. That's the only way I can describe it. It just seems like as though they've got a lot more to prove, so they treat you like shit. Yeah. I think with, like, music and art, uh, the people expect a certain person to be a certain kind of way. And it may as well be the same as we're a bunch of mechanics. You get some good ones and you get some that are like dickheads, you know. <laughs> It's just, you know, like you like a particular band because you like them, you expect them all to be good blokes, but guitarist might be a great guitarist, but he might be a bit of a dickhead at life, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> happens. Or he might be having a shit time <laughs> in his life and he's being a dickhead for a few, few you know, years even. Yes. I've met people that have been like, why not a cock smoker? And then 
met him five years later and went, fuck, you really worked it all out, have you? You're cool now. Yes, yes. I know I've had that thing happen where I've, I've been around people and I just thought, oh, my God, I don't think I'm going to survive being around this person before I start to murder them. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a difficult guy to get along with or anything like that. But to be honest, had falling outs or you know disagreements or arguments or what have you with an individual and then months later get a text message for them saying how much they respect you and they enjoyed your company and you're thinking, what the? Huh? You know, yep. basically you get the yep. I, I miss you text message. <laughs> I call it the I miss you text <laughs> message. <laughs> you know, and you're thinking, oh, shit, how did that yep. happen? But sometimes you never know to your point what's going on in somebody's life. And as I get older, I learn that you've got to give people a bit, you know, we all have our own lane, but sometimes people need a bit more than their own lane. So you get over into the next lane and you give them your lane for a period of time and you just let them sort themselves out when they're good and ready. You get a, you get a pretty quick answer and you get when you go, was I ever a cockhead? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll give this bloke some space, you know. <laughs> All right. They're stepping over the line, but, you know, when you can look at it and go, pretty sure there's times when I look at my life and go, yeah, that was probably not the way to roll. So. Yeah, yeah, likewise. But we all live and learn, don't we? We all live and learn, and I think as long as you've got the uh, the ability to, to uh, reflect and you've got some self-awareness on these sort of things, you can grow and learn from every experience. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So, you know, talking about growing and learning, you have been around for a while, as I alluded to at the beginning of our discussion, and I have been wanting to ask an elder statesman of Australian metal this question for some time because I have been talking to a lot of, when I say younger bands, bands that have been around for five years or less. Now, in my view, 2017 is something of a high watermark for Australian metal. I have been listening to the genre for 25 years or so, ever since I was about 12 or 13. Um, but I can't remember a time when there has been to be, and I've got to make the statement as it is, better bands around. Uh, for example, Aversion's Crown, Awesome Wells, Vipassi, even King Parrot, Neo, Desecrator, uh, Toxicon, and of course your good selves. What's your take on the current state of Australian metal, and do you agree with my comment that 2017 is somewhat of a high watermark for our great genre in this country? I totally agree. Um... It's just so much happening and no one's looking. Um, I remember starting out, you could name the bands that were kick-ass and doing a lot of good stuff, good gigs, and they were actually really good bands, probably one hand. You know, there was yeah. five, six, seven, eight. Whereas now, everyone's telling me, you've got to hear this type band. You know, like all these new brutal names and... I'm almost like, I don't need to hear it because I don't doubt that it's not going to be unreal. It's, it's a, there's a massive flood of, you know, we play with a lot of younger bands that, and I might play in a, like a pretty big bill where I don't recognise any names of any of the bands and go, okay, and I'll go along and like, none of them are shit. Mm. You know, they're all, <laughs> all these yeah. bands that have all killer. learnt the shops, learnt the business, learnt, learnt everything that it's about and... Now, unfortunately, it's like um, the crowd that used to be in Melbourne all went, I want to do that too. So, like, everybody's in a band and there's not much crowd to go around and they're all uh -huh. good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's yes. kind of what it's like. There's just... Uh, I haven't... Yeah. I, I, haven't, I rarely see bands go, yeah, they're not much chop. Pretty much everyone I see is like, got their shit together. Bands are, yeah, amazing. There's so much... There's so much out there that I haven't seen that, you know, I, I know that, that a lot of them are just kicking ass. 
But it did used to be like that, didn't it? Exactly to your point. I'm not going to mention any band names because I don't want to offend anybody, and it's you know there's no need for it. But but in the bands around these days are just so fucking good. I listened to them, like listening to that band Diversions Crown. I'd never heard of them before, but I got an advanced copy of their record and thought they must have been from Florida or New York or something. And lo and behold, they're from they're from Brisbane. And and I thought, holy shit, we've actually arrived at a point where I can't tell the difference between these great Australian bands and bands from from overseas. Um, and is it just a case that I, I don't want to say that we've caught up because I don't want to compare our scene to um, to to what's going on elsewhere in the world. But it does sound like as though we have finally, and I'm going to use this word, and and feel free to disagree with me uh, if you want. It's it's probably not a word you want to use too much in association with heavy metal, but we're professional. You know, bands are going out of their way to get the best production and you guys have got a great video, for example, that really supports the message that you're trying to send and is a great accompaniment to the song too, by the way. Um, but it just sounds like as though the playing field is so level now and we, we, we are competing directly with what's happening stateside and what's happening in continental Europe um, that the demand for bands, I mean, the bands that I mentioned before, um, I could also include um, Parkway Drive and some of the some of the metalcore bands as well, they're world leaders in their craft. I was talking to Cody from a band called Wage War, and he was saying that the band that really influenced him, so this is a kid that grew up in central Florida, the band that really influenced him was from Bloody Ewing's um, Dale in um, Byron Bay, Parkway Drive. Yeah. So the band that comes to mind would be Psychroptic. You know, um, for, years and ye- for years and years and years, like everybody who was something to worry about was from Florida. That's where death metal was, and that's where you see all the badasses, you know, until the sort of black metal thing came about. But that's sort of like all this nasty shit originated in Florida, and then a whole bunch of us bands, you know, loved it, started to learn it, started to play like it and whatever. And now Psychroptic had their heads so firmly entrenched in that learning that stuff and playing like that that by the time they actually sort of got up and get going, they were like as good or better than everything they've been listening to and learning. And now, like, you know, you you still see those guys pulling decent, but, you know, not amazing crowds in Australia. But you know that as far as worldwide, they've got as much as respect as a band like Morbid Angel or something like that. And, you know, it's just because the quality of the quality of the playing, the quality of the presentation, you know, these guys that used to be just guys like to smoke weed and listen to fast drums or went, if we are going to achieve anything in this uh, flooded scene of, of so much stuff going on and with the internet and so much exposure, we either have to, you know, you, you have to have a crazy video or you have to almost like sport be as fast or be as good as the guys that are, that are world leaders. And I think Psychropic went, check out what you can do from Tasmania. And those guys now destroy everybody, you know. And as as a live as a live sort of band, but also something to listen to. You just go, oh my god! <laughs> yes. See, I sort of think it started to shift a little bit when Kevin Sharp from Brutal Truth joined Damaged back in the early two thousands. I think I've got my timeline there. Correct. Correct me if if I'm wrong. If you if you know anything about that. Yeah, one, that but... was a weird little era. <laughs> Yeah, I sort of... It's a weird that, little thing. Well, that was... You know, when I look at the timeline of these events, Danny Lilka, of course, was the bass player in Brutal Truth. He was in Anthrax. And I started thinking, holy shit, there's this relatively 
you know, with all due respect to Matt and Damaged, a small Australian band who have attracted a frontman of a um, of a band who is fairly well recognised in the US and globally. Um, ever since then, I sort of think we've been in an upward trend. But yeah, it was a bit of an odd pairing, I thought, as well. Uh, it didn't last for too long, of course. But um, yeah, produced a record, if I'm not mistaken, and a bit of a tour. I don't remember the record, but I do remember some gigs. And you mentioned DW before. Um, yes. I was down at Backbeat recording with him, uh, recording the Truth Corroded album. Yep. And Damage were playing at the corner with Kevin Sharp. And then I remember DW saying, hey, we're all going to Damage, but you don't want to come, eh? Because you, you want to be an engineer, yeah? And stay here and like work on the mixes. Like, <laughs> under his under his like you know teaching yes. and stuff, and I really wanted to be studio guy. And I went, okay. <laughs> I remember going, fuck. So I out on this, but yeah, I recorded with him when Sam was his engineer back in two thousand and four, I think it was. Um, and um, it was the Action biggest. Sam, God love him. Yeah, that's it. What's he up to these days? No idea. Run it, bump into him every couple of years, but it's been a couple of years. I'm not sure. Yeah, he supplied the drums Being to a amazing, band. Being amazing, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a bloody good drummer, actually. He supplied the drums to a band that I was in at the time, of course. It was just a, a band that we're trying to get up and going. But, of course, Richie is the preeminent metal engineer and producer of, of well, probably in, ever in Australia, really. Um he was the man to turn to, and I learned so much working with Richie. So props, props to Richie, mate, or DW, sorry, as you prefer to be known if you're listening. Um, probably doesn't remember me, but that's okay. It was only a week or so that I was down there. But... Well, you know we've just had a bunch to do with them, right, with, with Richie and Superhost. Yeah, you went on a tour with Dreadnought. Yeah, I'll ask about, I was going to ask about that next, but go ahead, mate. You're right. Oh, it's just that, yeah, the, um, the, 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 I just kept mentioning um, DW, and, you know, he was very much a part of the band. Um, getting somewhere and, and being noticed and the whole Don't Call Me Baby thing and just launching us, that was very much Richie getting behind us. Yeah. And then, we, again, we'd bump into each other here and there over every couple of years, hadn't really seen him, and then all of a sudden, super high the back, and uh, we're all uh, back in business together. So <laughs> it's funny, uh, EW's sort of, you know, been on the outskirts for a really long time, and just recent, for the last month, he's been, I mean, seeing him every weekend. So it's been it's been interesting. He's a bloke that and I've got a. You're right, you go, mate. Oh, the whole "Don't Call Me Baby" thing was, ended up like, you know what? This is a nostalgia tour. You've got to do that again, and it ended up being like uh, his wife being the chick singer, singing the "Don't Call Me Baby" parts, and uh, mm. yeah, it was it was classic. It's just strange how it all came about, and, that, and Dreadnought like the. the the crossing over because members of Dreadnought have been in Super Heist before as well, so it was just a bit of a uh, nostalgia. <laughs> so it was awesome. Yes, nice. And and I was just going to say before, sorry, mate, that I um I'd love to get DW on the podcast actually, and just hit him up and just say what's good, what's going on, you know, just just to get him to wax lyrical and and share with people because I think he is somebody that can share a hell of a lot with our international listeners about what's going on in Australian metal, particularly since he's been so active over the past 20 years or so. Um, I think he's had any, I mean, I could be wrong here, but just about any band that rose through the ranks from about 1998 till about 2008 that came from Melbourne or, 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 or Brisbane, I think he had a lot to do with. He did. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And not just metal. Like, you know, when, 
hardcore was sort of coming in around the same time and these when the whole genre split started to like it's heavy but it's this kind of heavy and all that started to happen you get hardcore bands going down there going we want to record with Richie because he's a whatever metal album and they're like I don't want to sound like a metal band man and you go oh, okay and so he'd like have these hardcore bands and he'd do pretty much he's Richie like total brutal drums total brutal guitars and they go fucking sick and it sounds nothing like metal <laughs> you know? and he just do he do his uh signature kind of mix man and yeah it worked there was a, everyone was going there for a while what i what i really liked about working with him though was the confidence that he gives you to perform now for those who don't know what it's like being in a studio like this is going back in the day when you know, laptop and computer and, and recording setups weren't as prevalent on laptops. So this is going back to the early 2000s. You literally had to go to a studio if you wanted anything decent. They can be bloody intimidating, intimidating places if you're not used to them. For me, Richie was... Absolutely. Not, not that Especially I'm... Especially when the money's ticking over. Oh, it is. Right. It is, mate. And, and if you're around, yeah. and you've nailed it, you're around some, some bandmates that you might not be getting along with all of that well and you've only got a small window of opportunity if you like to put your bit down before they start getting the shits with you um <laughs> you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah. <laughs> yeah. those days are gone thank god those... everyone records in their bedroom now it's great but that's where <laughs> richie was great you know because he was able to go you know what just you're right mate you've got this here we go you know whenever you're ready let's do this you know yep. what i mean and and um i got so much confidence and from working with him and um, look, of course, I've still got to perform and do it, but in the years that followed working with him, I was able to do a lot of studio work and I was able to record with a lot of people. And I do, I was able to get a lot of my confidence whenever I started, because I'm a bass player, started playing my bass in a studio environment because of the work that I did with him. So I hope he listens to this and he has a bit of a chuckle or a wry smile. Of course, I don't expect him to remember me, but, you know, it's just a bit of a small bit of feedback for the man himself and for anybody out there that might have worked with him around about the same time, they can probably identify with what I'm saying. Absolutely, yeah. And I reckon, as I said, we've been in close quarters recently and uh, I reckon he'll tune into this. He'll be, like, checking out to see if I said any shit about him. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, now's, now, now's your opportunity. Which I have. Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, in, in a different way, not as a musician, but as a band, um, we went down there and we thought, yeah, okay, let's go into a proper recording studio and record this album. And we did that, and then DW called us and went, dude, I'm going to start a record label to put this out because I believe in you. And we were like, what the fuck? And he created his own label because he wanted to get behind the band. And it was because of him I was sitting in the studio and he said, you guys need to go in the state. So he rang up Truth Corroded and said, you need to help my boys out, get them on a gig. And I'm like, we're going to what? You know, I'd only seen bands touring in books and magazines and stuff back in those days. The next thing you know, like DW's rigged up a whole, you know, you need to get merch printed. You need to, so he, he, Definitely gave the whole thing a kick in the ass. That was so uh, forever grateful for that. But when you talk about um, people that make you feel comfortable and recording people, uh, Richie was definitely there in the in the beginning. But um, uh, Reggie Bowman, I don't know if you heard of him from uh, Scream Louder Produ- Production. Um, we did a bunch of records with him, and I felt the same thing that you felt that as far as um, someone that makes you feel comfortable, someone that like kind of 
eggs you on and and smiles at you while you you sort of getting things like uh, gives you a confidence to, to get what you want. He was pretty much like, I'm not going to tell you what it should be or whatever. You tell me what your dream is and um, I'll build it for you, mate. You know, rather than you recall with some people and they tell you how it should be or whatever. I found uh, Reggie's one of one of his greatest skills as a producer, or recorder, or whatever, is, is to make people confident they're going to get what they came for rather than a version, somebody else's version of what they wanted to do. Mate, have you thought about getting into production of other bands yourself? Or, or you should reframe and, and ask the question, have you produced or engineered other bands yourself since you mentioned earlier that you'd done a bit of work with Richie on the engineering front? Or over the years, all the, all the Frank and Lock stuff, I uh, used to record with demos and stuff. But, um, yeah, I did work with Tris Corroded on recording their album. Um, yeah, done little bits and pieces here along the way. But I, I was just talking about this uh, yesterday, going... One of the things that I sort of have to gave up on, like being interested in the whole audio engineering side and being on that side of the desk, was how much time you lose and how much how time consuming it is. And I kind of walked away when Dan, our old vocalist, um, stepped up as far as being the, the uh, tech guy and just had a natural talent for it. And I went, my time for playing and recording has just doubled rather than being in there and having up, but it's not working right and have mess with leads and all that and try and just go, just wait, mate, and you're out of tune or something like that, you know, having a, it sounds shit. Why, Asa? And you're like going, oh. But um, when I find myself on the other side of the desk, I'm playing more guitar and playing, you know, it allows me to play in two bands and do all the other things that I've got to do, whereas if I was uh, the guy trying to mix Frankenwalk stuff or, or the re- the recording side of things, I would spend an equal amount of time on the, the tech side of things as I would as playing. And being an, being an old man, you, you kind of go, so I've got to be a family man and have a job and not only playing in a band, but I'm playing in two bands and you've got to you know be a good dad and you go, Anytime sitting there not editing the middle section, someone else can have that. <laughs> so I've walked away from that side of things. I think I, I think I ran away from it. <laughs> I don't blame you, mate. And you, look, you, if you don't mind talking about this just quickly, look, I've got two two daughters myself, but um, I've had to morph my interest in music away from performance and playing live and recording all the rest of it into doing what I'm doing now, which is podcasting, because I do have a family, because I just found it too hard to to keep on top of things in a band but so how hard is it to be a family man and also run a band mate um it's not that hard to be a family man you but to be a family man and be in a band you really need to choose the right woman who's going to when you say hey we just got like um four gigs in new zealand my wife went oh that's awesome that's fucking awesome baby <laughs> you've been wanting to go there for ages and i'm like that's incredible. That's incredible. Did you hear that? You know, because I know how hard it is for a lot of guys that are in bands and, um, you know, the time away thing becomes like a real struggle on family life and the relationship just wanting their guy to be home, you know? Um, but how it works for me is like you make your choices and you do what you want to do. So you, you suffer for your art. So I come on 
maybe tired from a tour. Uh, I don't sleep much anyway, but uh, I, I don't like go, oh, I'm tired and I don't need to sleep for three days. Or like, yes, I'm real tired and a bit sore, but you get up and you spend time with your son, you do this, you do that, and, you know, you you uh, basically uh, face up to what you took on. So, but I think most importantly, it's just ha- having <laughs> the right the right woman that's going to allow this. My dad uh, mentioned I mentioned earlier that my dad's an entertainer. He, he used to be a comedian, and he'd go away and he'd be doing gigs. He'd leave the house at like seven o'clock at night, and he'd come home at two o'clock in the morning. You know, at, um, back in those days, comedians always worked with strippers and that. And he said he said to me one day, and I, I think I'd started playing music. He said, "Mate, it takes a very very special woman." to be able to let you go out every night to entertainment and people drinking and like where I work with strippers and like be able to handle that because even if nothing's going on. It's the environment. It's the environment, yeah, and I think that like if you don't have that sort of trust thing, it could really play on your mind, you know. So I think (laughs) anyway, it works for me that – No, I think you've just said something really uh, important there. But but I think – look, I I say this – you know, to, to anybody that asks, I don't give this advice out, you know, willy-nilly. It's probably the only time I'd do it. But um, you've, as a bloke, you've really got to marry well, uh, especially if you've got what I call a program. So you've got a band and, you know, you've got a whole agenda outside of uh, family life. And, you know, it's um, outside of just having a job, which, which of course, supports a family life. And, uh, look, if you don't marry well, by God, is it hard? I've seen too many people go through... Uh, even at my stage in life, mate, divorces and very unhappy relationships because they uh, maybe didn't marry the person that was for them, put it that way. Yeah, especially with the whole muso thing, it's like if you stop somebody being who they are, not just what they choose to do, some people are actually, that's who they are. And you might be more comfortable because they're not doing that anymore, but you might find yourself with a pretty miserable dysfunctional person because they're not being who they need to be. I think a a good woman in a good relationship will go, you need, that's, that's who, that's kind of, here we go. We're talking, doing a metal interview, but that's kind of who I fell in love with. And that's kind of, uh, um, who he is. And you try and remold that and it might not work out too well because, you know, you're going to be like, being what you want them to be and then also being pretty fucking resentful because they're not getting the rock because they need to. <laughs> Good point. It's not a choice. <laughs> you get chosen, you don't choose. Yeah. <laughs> well, chosen to rock. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a man who knows, that's for sure. And look, mate, I, I am keeping you I am keeping you from your lovely family there, so um, I probably should let you go, but I will ask you for any final thoughts or comments, especially because it's a very it's like Christmas Eve for you really, isn't it, mate? You know, you've got this wonderful album coming out tomorrow and um I, you know, I can't see why it'll be anything other than a qualified success in every regard. Yeah, yeah. If if you sit on the fence, please yeah, check out the record because it's um, I, I can't stand behind it enough because it's the most honest thing that's ever we've ever done. It's not being handled by anybody. It's all it's 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 uh, it sounds like desperation and hard work, and it's the realest record we've ever done. And it'll give you that them feelings. 
Mm-hmm. Ben Fields, yep, gotcha, mate, gotcha, mate. And um, absolutely, mate. Just a quick question before we wrap things up: Will you be making it up to regional Queensland, like around um, Wide Bay, Burnett, or Sunshine Coast at all? Um, we are doing it was uh, Shredfest up there in uh, Brisbane, but we're also talking about like after the national tour, doing like a um, a rural tour and just sort of trying to get the places that you miss out when you just do the major cities because, you know, that, that's some that's where the, the real lunatics lurk. And, you know, you get art and you, the further you go out, the less complacency you get because they're stoked that you fucking made the effort. And that's where you start to see energy. Yeah, they show you that they're appreciative. They, they are. Look, I'm, I'm looking at putting on some shows between... I'm on the Sunshine Coast and um, between here and Cairns and, mate, the fans just love it. They're hungry. They're rabid. They want it. There's no 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 two ways about it. So I'd love to see you guys on a regional tour sometime soon. But, look, all things considered, mate, they are very hard to do because, you know, they do cost a lot to put on too and uh, a lot of fans might not have the coin to sort of fork out for that ticket and some beers and all the rest of it. And, and I, you know... Fans that travel from, say, on Queensland, of course, from Emerald to Rocky um, or something like that, mate. That's a, you know, five, six hundred kilometre round trip and the like. But I digress, mate. Um, just food for thought anyway, mate. I'd love to see you guys up here in regional Queensland. And I'm sure you go down very well. I shouldn't say this, but if, if bands of our calibre, if they can get up there, if someone can get them there and food and water them, you know, like give them a couple of beers and actually like... Make it so that they haven't had to like tell their missus, "Hey, I'm going to need six hundred bucks. I'm going to go away for the weekend." <laughs> if that, if people can actually get you there, I think most dudes and most a lot of bands are pretty happy to like go. I'm going to Cairns for the weekend. And it's going to be sick, <laughs> and just play. You know, that's it's just it's just keep keeping your ear to the ground where it's going to be sick and like fourteen people turn up, or there is like a hundred people that are like. Ass, you know, it's just knowing where it's usually about talking to the other bands that have just been there. I think uh, Super Heist went to one faggy on the weekend, and that's one of the ones we didn't do. And their sound engineer messaged me today going, ah, The only one you didn't do, and it was sick. So, you know, and I thought, One faggy, what goes on up there? You know, and apparently it was like awesome. Nah, sweet, yeah. Well, you might have just planted a seed there. Um, you never know, especially because I mean, I only I, I've only got to go on the feedback that I get from from the bands that I talk to directly, and I've got to, man, I've got to talk to more bands from Melbourne because all of the bands from Melbourne have just been killer. I think just about every band that I mentioned before is from Melbourne, and the attitude that I get from you guys is just outstanding. You just want to do it, you want to play, you want to put in a show for the punters and. You want to leave it all up there on stage for them, mate, and uh, or you know, you know, you don't want to leave anything up there on stage is probably the better way to describe it. So, uh, yeah, as I say, mate, you might have just planted a seed there that might grow into something a bit more significant. Awesome, cool, brother. That's a go. Well, I've had, I've had a ball. It's been great talking to you, man. I was all nervous and stuff, and I'm you know, scared <laughs> and under, underprepared. I was like, oh, I need a calendar in front of me. What if you ask me about timelines? Well, I can't remember dates. And I, was like, I wasn't ready. <laughs> no, all good, brother. It's been an awesome chat. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I will. I'll, I'll definitely go to your, your Brisbane show when you guys come up here, mate. So, or Sunny Coast show, whichever one comes first, mate. Or both potentially if you play both places. But uh, look forward to having a beer with you sometime along the way, mate. Absolutely, we'll do that. And just yeah, send us a message before the show, man. Good to catch up. Can do, brother. I'll post the um, podcast and I'll. I'll link you in on social media and all the rest of it and I'll um, hit Anwar up from Metal Obsession so, so we can 
print a bit of an article that'll appear on the um, website as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. I've had a blast. It's been great fun. Thanks, brother. No worries. Well, congratulations again and see you around. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was Azabok from the Melbourne outfit Frankenbock. Thank you so much for listening.